0: You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. In this special episode brought to you by Cirrus Talent, a marketing staffing agency run by modern day marketing matchmakers, we're going to talk about four hiring myths that anyone hiring and managing marketing talent have probably run across. We're going to get to the bottom of each of these today, plus provide an outlook on the marketing talent market as it currently stands. To help me discuss these topics, I'd like to welcome Sue Keith, Corporate Vice President at Cirrus Talent. Sue, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Greg. It's nice to be back. Thanks.
0: Yeah, glad glad to have you back on here. So uh, for those that weren't able to catch your your marketing hiring outlook last quarter on the show, uh, why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself as well as on Cirrus Talent?
1: Sure. So I lead Cirrus Talent. As you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're a boutique marketing recruiting firm-based in Washington, D.C. metro area. And we specialize in marketing, communications, creative, and product positions. And that's because everyone on our team spent the majority of our careers in marketing for taking what I call this interesting and unexpected turn into recruiting. Uh, so we like to say we speak the language, which makes us pretty good at the matchmaking, which is ultimately what we do for a living.
0: Great, great. Well, uh, so today we're going to talk through four hiring myths. And I want to ask you to talk about each and, and what hiring managers and marketing managers and, and leaders should know about each. So let's, let's get started uh, with the uh, first one here. The first myth here is that every candidate must have vertical and domain experience. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Right. Um, that's a good one. And because we run into this all the time. And just as an example, so let's say what we're talking about here with vertical or domain experience, it would be something like the client is a, is a cybersecurity software company and thinks that all of their marketing candidates should have some sort of cybersecurity background. So that's kind of what, that's what we yeah. mean by vertical or domain experience. And so here's our philosophy. And by the way, I have two exceptions to this philosophy that we'll get to <laughs> later, but I'll start with the philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so We think if you're a strong marketer, in other words, you have good marketing instincts or you could call it good marketing bones, you should be able to market any product or service. So the target buyers may change, your messaging will be different, your marketing channel mix will probably change, but marketing fundamentals don't change. And what happens if hiring managers are insistent on domain experience or vertical experience, then you're significantly shrinking the available talent pool and you might be missing out on really strong candidates who would be excellent for the job, but they got passed over because of lack of domain domain experience. And so this is where we can come in. With our marketing backgrounds, we're able to identify applicants who might not look like an exact fit on paper, but through our experience and as as we talk through the role with a candidate, we can identify the parallels between their experience and what the hiring manager is looking for. So that's where having a marketing background can help connect those dots, if you will. But I mentioned that there are two exceptions to a marketer can market anything theory. And the first one is B2B versus B2C. So as you can imagine, during COVID, we had a ton of consumer marketing experts come our way. And they often mentioned that they were having trouble getting interviews with with the B2B companies they've been applying to. And here's why that's problematic. B2B marketers... Especially those who have responsibility for demand gen, which you know basically goes up all the way to the CMO, with responsible for de- responsibility for demand. You really have two customers. Of course, you have the end user, the buyer, but you also have the internal sales teams. So, if you're marketing to consumers, chances are the consumer is either buying, you know, a pair of shoes online or calling an 800 number. I guess if you're up at 3 a.m. watching an infomercial, but there's no sales team per se in the B2B world. If you don't have experience partnering with sales teams, um, sometimes negotiating with sales teams on, let's say, lead definitions, you know, what's an what's an MQL, what qualifies as an SQL, you know, discussing lead flows, you know, understanding or or being responsible for marketing's contribution to pipeline, those sort of metrics, then it would be really difficult for you to step into a B two B marketing position. The second exception is product marketing, and this is actually a source of debate even within our own team, but. What I believe is if it's a senior position, the CMO understandably wants the new product marketing leader to be immediately able to have a seat at the table with the product and sales teams. Okay. And more, and really with the customers as well, I should say. And more importantly, to be able to quickly build trust with your internal stakeholders. So again, product and sales. And if you don't know the sector or can't really speak to the buyer, you're gonna be starting at a disadvantage you know, at that table. And it can be a gap that can take a long time to close. So I think product marketing, especially in more technical products, the the requirement for some domain, at least familiarity is is justified. But I do have an exception to this exception. (laughs) You know, I'd say if it's a more junior product marketing role, then, you know, we don't think domain experience is as critical as long as you're sitting on a team with other folks who have some of that expertise.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I, I wish I, we would have had this conversation years ago when I, when I was hiring people and uh, for some of these things. I al- I also think particularly this one, it applies, you know, having, having owned and, and run a, a marketing agency, I actually think we ran into similar, similar things regarding domain experience. And I, I think your answers to from a hiring an individual standpoint, even apply to, to, to that and hiring an agency.
1: Yeah. We're going to touch on this myth later related to, I can't, there are no good candidates for this role, but as a, if you go back to my point that if you are requiring domain experience where it may not be necessary, you've just cut out a whole lot of people who could be really good for the job. Yeah. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. Now, of course, is domain a vertical experience, serious bonus points for a candidate? Yes, they always are. But really think carefully about how critical is that expertise versus all the functional experience that you're looking for.
0: Well, and it's also kind of the how narrow that experience that you're looking for, right? Because I mean, domain experience, to your point, can be incredibly valuable and and give you a leg up, you know, just starting a position. But if the qualifications, if how you qualify that domain is so narrow that you're really, you know, kind of cutting out a lot of good potential candidates and maybe maybe they have tangential experience. Um, you know, it it seems like you're you're kind of you're you're cutting your your options short, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that's where we can come in sometimes and talk to the hiring manager and say, okay, we understand why this would be really, as I said, great bonus points to have, but let's talk about the experience this person does have in the the connections. Yeah. And you know, sometimes we can make that argument, sometimes not. But um, that's where we we as long if we feel really confident that the the candidate can do the job, and the lack of domain or vertical experience is not going to put them at the disadvantage, then we'll try to make that case.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so let's let's move to the second one because you touched on this briefly. There, second hiring myth is good candidates for this unicorn job just don't exist. So what what do you say to that?
1: I say it's funny. We actually have a unicorn figurine in our office that one of our clients gave us because we helped them find a unicorn candidate. The you know, I actually heard something just like this the other day. I was at the digital summit in DC and a marketing leader told me she's looking to fill a position, or she's been looking to fill a position for four months, but can't seem to find the right candidates. And in this case, you likely have one of two problems. You either have a ton of candidates coming in applying for the job, and LinkedIn did not do anyone a favor with that easy apply button, right, right, and but only a few of them are qualified for the job or you simply don't have enough applicants. And then typically, wh- whichever the situation is, typically it's due to a case of misalignment. And what I mean by that is there's a disconnect somewhere, whether it be the title, the years of experience required, you know what the hiring manager needs versus what the job description really says. And then perhaps maybe some of the things that are listed as requirements, really aren't requirements and really should be called nice to haves or, you know, as we, as I said, we call them bonus points. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about titles. You know, we sometimes see a misalignment with the title versus the level of responsibility or the number of years of experience. So for example, we might see be asked to work on a job with a manager title, but the job description says 10 plus years of experience, which, you know, for us would be at least a senior manager role. So in that case, you're either going to attract people who are at the manager level, but you're gonna feel are too junior for the role because you really need a senior manager plus. Or conversely, you may turn off somebody who is more experienced and is really well qualified for the job, but they see the manager title and and, and pass over it. So you can, this goes back, so th- this is where you might be, you know, again, losing out or missing out on candidates who could have been really good fit. The other thing we see is pretty often is job descriptions that are really, really long. So we call these the kitchen sink job descriptions, where someone likely, you know, looked up a bunch of similar job descriptions on LinkedIn, copied and pasted all from all of them, and you end up with this four-page extravaganza right. of a job description. And with that, it's really hard for a candidate or an applicant to tease out what are the actual like requirements key requirements of this job because I'm seeing, you know, 20 bullets and, and you may be turning away somebody who has the top, let's say the top eight requirements, but they're looking at, you know, 15, 16 bullets, and they may not have number 13 or number 15. And they think, well, I guess I'm not qualified for this role. So it's job descriptions really should be very streamlined to speak to only the most critical requirements. And if you want to throw in some nice to haves, that's helpful too for the candidate to know how they can maybe stand out. But definitely I think job description, just think really carefully about your job description. And what we oftentimes is start to see repetition, like the bullet might be written with different words, but it's saying the same thing because again, back to that copy and paste thing. So try to tighten up those job descriptions so you're not losing people because they're either can't make heads or tail what they, the hiring manager really needs or they're worried they might not have a requirement that's actually not that important. Yeah, And then to that point, another issue we see fairly often is the job description doesn't actually reflect what the hiring manager is truly looking for. So this is where our kickoff calls with hiring managers are really critical because we often find that what, you know, a good half of what the hiring manager is looking for is actually not written in the job description. And then if you look at the job description about half of those bullets on the piece of paper are things the hiring manager doesn't really care about when you start drilling down. So again, it goes back to really tightening up the job description to be very reflective of exactly what is required and what, you know, we can live without.
0: Yeah. You know, it uh, since we're all marketers here, you know, it seems like there's a parallel here between how you would Construct audiences that you're targeting with advertising and, you know, writing requirements for candidates, right? You know, so in other words, if you create an audience segment with everything checked, what are you going to get? You're going to get, uh, you're going to get the kitchen sink right. versus, you know, to select, you're not going to get enough people, you know, so in other words, maybe I'm over overstretching the metaphor here, but you know, it, it seems like the parallels between kind of what marketers do in, in some of their day jobs you know could be applied here to just get the best uh, you know instead of getting the best customer or acquiring the best customer, you're getting the best candidate.
1: yeah, I think that's an excellent analogy. It's exactly <laughs> right. And it's you know we're right now we've been playing around with Google ads and we just tried to restrict something and we made it so narrow we didn't get a single click right? yeah, I think the the analogies to what we do as marketers is is actually really insightful.
0: While we're on the topic of the talent market, I wanted to share a little bit more about our sponsor, which is a company I've worked with, referred great talent to, and a company I recommend to the marketing leaders I work with as advisor and consultant, Cirrus Talent. A lot of times when you work with a staffing company, your candidate matches can be pretty hit or miss. Cirrus Talent is different because the founders are seasoned marketers themselves, and the company is focused exclusively on placing top talent in marketing and communications positions. They already speak the language of marketing and take the time to fully understand the requirements of the positions they are filling. As one of their clients said, Because of their marketing expertise, they always really listen and completely understand exactly what I'm looking for in each search. If you're looking to hire a marketer, whether you need a full-time employee or if adding headcount is challenging in today's market, an interim marketing contractor might be what you need to keep the trains running, go to www.siristalent.com. That's C-E-R-E-S-T-A-L-E-N-T dot com, or follow the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. So let's, uh, let's go to our third hiring myth here, and that is, I must interview 16 candidates for the job, and this kind of speaks to... Some of the things that we talked about in the in the last episode. But you know, what, what do you say to the the hiring manager that uh, you know that says, you know, I've gotta get 10, 12, 16 candidates in order to make a good decision?
1: Right. It's so I see hiring as a combination of skill set, cultural fit. And what I mean by that is oftentimes if we're working with a a really a growth stage company startup type that's a very different environment than let's say a large matrix organization where there's a lot of processes and things don't move as quickly, or you may need to work with other teams to get things done. So that's what I mean by cultural fit. And then the final thing is gut. So when I've hired people along the way, I do it mostly from gut. Now, of course I have to have a comfort level that they have the right experience. I'm looking for, you know, they've talked to, a, and I would get to this, you know, one or two other people within the company who've given them a thumbs up and as much as people sometimes roll their eyes about reference checks, they can actually be pretty, pretty insightful. So yeah, I'm not just saying I'm just doing it off a of gut cause I like the person, but I do think there's an element of gut in here that you have to rely on. I mean, you're a manager and you're being paid to make decisions. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have to sometimes just go with gut. So if you, if your gut tells you you found the right person with these additional, you know, check marks, then I would hire that person. Really recently, we just placed a senior content marketing manager with a client, and we presented three candidates. Initially, the first candidate was good, but didn't knock their socks off. The second candidate not only you know gave everyone she met with bare feet, but she made them hear angels sing. I think. <laughs> and despite that, the hiring manager came back to me and said, "Well, should I meet the third person?" And we said, "No." The answer is no. <laughs> Hire the one who just made you hear angels sing. So um, again, yeah. I, it goes to you know not going with your gut. And again, with a few other check marks from some other folks, just doing, you know, making that decision. And then there's a related corollary to this. So not only do you necessarily have to interview 10, 12, 15 people for a job to feel good about your hiring decision, on the flip side, don't require your candidates to interview with 10, 12, I'm exaggerating a bit, but 10, 12, 15 people within the company. And again, this goes back to being able to hire someone you know, and we talked about this a bit during our last conversation, is being really thoughtful about who you think candidates need to meet with beyond you, beyond you, the hiring manager. You know, Yes. Should it be a team member of two? Yes. Should it be another key stakeholder within the company that you're going to be working with really closely? So for example, if it's a demand general, you'd want someone them to meet with someone from sales. If it's a product marketing role, you'd want them to meet someone from product. But You know, don't go too far beyond that because having a candidate meet with too many people can be really risky. One, it extends the interview process, and they're probably talking to some other companies who may be moving more quickly. We've had this experience where if they've met with five or six different people and there seems to be a disconnect within the company of what the expectations for this role are. So each person you meet with says there's, oh, I think it's this and it's a different expectation. That can put a question mark in the candidate's mind about their chances of success if it seems like the the key people within the company with whom you'll be working don't really have agreement over what the job is. Right, And then we've had this happen too, where you meet with so many people that somewhere along, you know, one of them, well, the candidate actually does not like one of them. In fact, we had this happen where it was hiring for, a, I think it was a senior director of product marketing and the hiring manager was sold. She had heard the angels. She was ready to go, but <laughs> she understandably wanted the candidate to work with a few other, talk to a few other people. And I won't say who it was that he talked to, but he came back after the interview and called me and said, I don't care how much money they pay me, I will never work with that person. So wow. you gotta be careful there. And then the last thing is I'd say you could get yourself in a bit of a sticky situation internally. So let's say you have this candidate talk to six people, and one out of the six every five say yes, one of the six says no, then what do you do? Do you just say right. no to the candidate because you've got whatever that percentage is? Or do you say, I'm going to hire this person and one person feels like their voice wasn't heard?
0: Mm. Yeah, good point. Yeah,
1: so you got to be, just be really thoughtful about how many people a candidate should have to talk to for a variety of reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now let's let's go to our fourth and final hiring myth uh, we're going to talk about today. And that is, I must hire a full-time employee to fulfill the job responsibilities.
1: This is a really timely question. So we do both interim marketing contractors and direct placements. The shift to contractors, uh, we see this during every market downturn, COVID for sure. And now we're seeing it again this year with everything going on in the market. And, you know, there's an understandable fear about committing to a full-time headcount during uncertain economic conditions. So your, your CFOs are are wary. Investors are certainly uncomfortable with the idea of teams growing, you know, with full-time yeah. hires. And we like to say hiring a contractor is like dating versus marriage with a full-time commitment. And typically, budgets come from different places. So, HR typically oversees, if not full-on, manages your headcount budget. But the expense of a contractor usually comes out of your discretionary marketing budget. So, you, as the the marketing leader, can use your discretion to say, okay, well, maybe we won't do this campaign or buy these ads because we need to bring a, a you know another a contractor in to help um, keep the trains running or, or, or oversee a particular initiative.
0: Yeah.
1: And this can be mutually beneficial for both sides. So it's really a try before you buy. Whereas for the company, it can give them time to decide if they really need this position in a full time capacity. For example, I love this story. One of our long term contractors, who's an events guru, I actually used to work with her. She was doing contract work for one of our clients. And the client came back to me and said, she was so, our contractor was so good that. The client was able to finally secure headcount approval to hire a full-time events person mm. because our contractor had shown the company how valuable the role could be if you have the right person in it. Wow. So that was that was a really cool feedback. But it's again, it says okay, it can give you time to decide. Like you know, making a commitment to a full-time hire, especially this environment, is is a big decision. So let's bring in someone on interim basis to see if we really, you know, how how much value that position can bring to the company.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And then on the contractor side of the try before you buy, that gives them an opportunity if, you know, should should they be offered the, a full-time job down the road after things have gone well, you know, do they want to work there full-time? I mean, it's this amazing opportunity to have, you know, an in, the inside experience of having worked with for the company and with these people before you say yes to a job offer. Yeah. And also, um, you know, going back to that myth that there, there are no good candidates for the job, you know, bringing on a contractor can be a really good option, if you're having trouble finding a full-time candidate for the job, or you think you might because it's, you know, really unicorny, So, and it, bringing on a contract would be a really great stopgap. You know, the work gets done and you may find you they're the right person for the job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Before we wrap up here, it was great to go through these myths and, and certainly I, I think as as we said at the beginning of the show, I think a lot of people can probably relate to to these, and and certainly your your insights are, are valuable here. I want to talk about uh, something else with you while I have you here and and have access to your to your insights on the hiring market in, in general. And and so we did this uh, last time we chatted last quarter, and just kind of how the year was starting, and now that twenty twenty three is is well underway. I wanted to get your your thoughts and, and feedback on, you know, what, what are you seeing in the talent market? What should marketing leaders look out for over the next few months as they're looking to potentially bring on new team members?
1: Sure. So unfortunately, right now feels uncannily like 2020 in the early days of COVID where so many people were being either furloughed or laid off. This time the sectors are flipped. So back in 2020 with COVID, it was primarily B2C marketers. You know, In the DC area, at least we have a lot of hospitality and hot hotel companies who were really, as you remember, yeah. affected. Um, but this time around in 2023, it's really the B2B market, as everyone's seen by the incessant headlines every day about layoffs in the tech sector. And So this can be a time of desperation for some candidates who have been laid off, you know, especially those who either they're the breadwinners or, you know, their family or their household relies really heavily on their income. So I would suggest be careful about hiring someone who is overqualified for your job. So this person may really need a job and be willing to take a lower title and or a lower salary for the moment, but they might be a flight risk when the market picks up. So just be be cognizant of that when you're looking at candidates. Um, The other thing to be on the lookout for is what we call keyword stuffing. So where the candidate looks at the job description, grabs a bunch of keywords out of it and sprinkles their resume full of these Mm -hmm. keywords. But then if you really look a little more closely, you don't see the actual experience that correlates with those keywords. We just saw this, a candidate... You know, we had a job posted on LinkedIn and probably, or on our website and the candidate under their name, which is something we recommend is whenever you, if you have your name on your resume, right underneath, you have to, you should have a line that what I call your thing. So whether you okay. say product marketing leader or demand gen market or what have you, or brand brand strategist, whatever it might be, you should have something that, well, this person had taken the title of the job and stuck it right under their name. So I'm, of course our team looked at the resume, because it grabbed her attention as it was supposed to do, but there wasn't one iota of related experience mm. on that resume beyond that, those three words under under her name. So just look carefully at resumes right now. And then on the one other thing I'd say is, you know, sh- this is changing topics, but short stints. So what I mean by that is someone who's had several short tenures at a series of jobs. And we'd like to just point out that's not necessarily a red flag, although it tends to be a red flag for every hiring manager we've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a reminder, marketing and often HR tend to be the first departments to get cut at the start of a market turn, turn down or any sort of you know economic contraction. And also, too, in the B2B tech world in which we work with a lot of technology and growth stage clients, M&A is a natural part of the deal. So any VC or PE firm, the intention is to exit, you know, sell the company in some way within some relatively short period of time. So a lot of times there is by no fault of the candidate's own, their companies keep selling or there's acquisition, et cetera. And then sometimes things just don't work out and it's, it's, nobody's fault. You know, I, I think we can all listening, anyone listening can think of a time where a job was just not working out. It wasn't their fault. There was just either was, it was is the management team or the strategic direction of the company. So, yeah. and also, we saw that, you know, during that, we had about 18 months of hiring frenzy between 2021 and 2022. And basically companies were hiring anybody they could find. And oftentimes that person got into the job and realized it really was a mismatch with their Either their skill set or how the job had been sold to them. So, I would say give a little grace to someone who looks to have short since on their resume. Especially you layer in COVID, and there's a lot of that impact too. Yeah. But, you know, of course, you want to ask them to make sure they have, you know, ask them to explain what happened in each and make sure they have reasonable explanations for the changes. Yeah. The last thing, the last thing I'll mention on this topic is salary ranges. So you may know that several states like Colorado and some jurisdictions like New York City now require companies who are posting jobs publicly to disclose the salary range on those job job postings. And while we applaud the intent behind this, the laws, which it was really to try to sh- close the gap, the pay gap between that affects women and minorities, there have been some un- unintended consequences. So what happens now is companies are publishing these crazy ranges. Like they'll say this job pays between seventy k and one hundred thirty k, because they're trying to allow for all contingencies. But in the end, it really helps no one, because of course when the company puts that range in there, the company's seeing the seventy k and the candidate's seeing the one hundred thirty k, and you're you're gonna have a big. Big problem when you come to salary negotiations. So I would say if your company is disclosing really wide salary ranges on your job posts, you just be ready for there's going to be likely some disconnect between what you've budgeted for that job and what the candidate thinks they they have the license to ask for.
0: Yeah, yeah, good good point. And uh, we've been talking about from the the hiring manager uh, perspective, what have, what should marketing candidates be looking out for In particular,
1: yeah, and I'll make this—I'll make this a relatively short answer because it's the same answer when we talked a little couple months ago. Is it's all about realistic expectations. Yeah. Here's the reality: the hiring pendulum has swung back, like, like fully to the other side of the the spectrum. Where, unfortunately, candidates—it's no longer a candidates' market, and candidates just don't have the leverage that they enjoyed the last couple of years. So you have to be ready for that and it's a really competitive market cuz so many people are looking for jobs. So be realistic about the title you're comfortable with, the salary you're comfortable with. You know, we just talked about how salaries can be really difficult because a lot of companies are publishing them and there's these crazy ranges, but try to like do your research. Use salary.com and other online resources to get a better a decent sense of what you think a job that you're interested in should pay. And then that said, you you know you should always ask for what you think is fair for the job, and what's commensurate with your experience. But one thing I'd recommend, if you are out of a job, do not try to get this is it's just not the time to try to get twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars over where you were in your last company.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: No. So I'd sum it up with realistic expectations.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well. Sue, thanks so much for for joining and and sharing all of your insights here, and looking forward to having you back next quarter to to do another another check in here. But one last question before we wrap up: you've given a lot of great advice already. It was it was great to talk through the, those myths as well. But you know, what's what's one piece of advice you'd have for marketing leaders that are in the process of hiring right now? What 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 should be top of mind?
1: I'm going to say two things, if I may. The first one is going back to what I was talking about is considering using interim marketing contractors to fill roles. You know, We've talked to several CMOs earlier this year who have big numbers to hit this year, bigger than last year. But they've been asked to hit those higher numbers with either the same team they have or if they've lost a couple of people, they, they're not able to backfill. So fewer in some cases. So as I mentioned, the budget for a contractor typically comes out of your discretionary marketing budget as opposed to your headcount budget. So it's a could be a good way to solve some of your problems. And then the second thing I'd say to hiring managers is just show people grace. It's a really, like I said, it's a really tough time for candidates who are out of a job. It can be really, not only scary from a financial perspective, but really just can really do a knock on your psyche and your confidence. So just have some grace with folks you know, get back to them in timely basis. If they're not right for the job, just, you know, at least communicate that. Don't, you know, don't ghost them as a lot of candidates complain about. So I just say, just, you know, try to have a little grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sue Keith, corporate vice president at Cirrus Talent, a marketing staffing agency run by modern day marketing matchmakers for joining the show. You can learn more about Sue and Cirrus Talent by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G R E G K I H L S T R O M.com.